Our guest today has been making video game music for nearly as long as home computers have been capable of playing music. His huge credits list covers everything from 1983's Capture the Flag through to Maniac Mansion, Wing Commander, Loom and The Seventh Guest. Truly a wealth of experience in his field. It's George the Fat Man Sanger. Welcome, George. Thank you for having me, Neil. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, George. George, was video game composer a job title in 1983? (laughs) <laughs> not even close um it was uh it was certainly not it was ridiculous it was like saying mom dad i'm gonna write uh music for toasters um video game creator was almost not a job title um it was just a lot of people who were kind of crazy who did a thing that was a weird hobby deal and uh they were just compelled to do it um so no um I think that if you look at the history of um, of those old gamers, you'll, you'll find that the programmers had had difficulty uh, kind of moving into set job descriptions. But the upside of that was uh, there were no paths, so you got to be a trailblazer. Yeah. Uh, the downside of it is that uh, nobody knew what to do. <laughs> Truly pioneers at the time. But I presume you were an experienced musician before you moved into video game composition. Well, there's experience and there's experience. I had a degree in music, but it was uh, classical music, and I was really more a guitar picker. Right. Um, so I, my confidence was low, uh, but I wanted to get into video games because I played video games. I felt like I'd sort of discovered video games at the laundromat, uh, at the uh, at the college, you know, in the pinball room. And uh, so I told my friend Dave Warhol, uh, I would like to work for you. I'd like to get into this business. I'll take out your trash cans uh, for free. You know, what do I have to do? And he says, well, you're sort of a musician, aren't you? Well, I I said, yeah, I guess I am. He said, well, I need a 10-second song uh, for penguins ice skating. And so I said, okay. And and, uh, it was very awkward. I I had a four-track recorder. I had a guitar. And I played a bass line on one track. And I played on the other track. And I did a lot of takes until it sounded good. And once it sounded good, I went back and listened to it and wrote it down on music paper, you know, manuscript paper, and gave that, that was my deliverables, what we call deliverables. Um, so uh, was I an experienced musician? Well, I, I, I played rock and roll in L.A. in the, in the 80s. So uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a thing, but that's not very close to ice skating penguins. <laughs> Um, did you did you have any kind of mentor in the on the video game side, or did you just have to f- figure it out yourself and work with the programmers to to produce your deliverables, as you call them? Yeah, there were no mentors. Uh, I suppose um, a few a, a couple of years into it, I learned. No, it was many years into it. Um, I learned of Rob Hubbard, who was over you know, in the UK. Um, but for many years, I just didn't know that anyone else did what I did. And, uh, everything that I got was mostly coming from, um, was mostly coming from Dave Warhol, who was, uh, game, uh, programmer, game designer. Uh, but he was also deep on the music software side and he had sort of de- deconstructed some of the N- Nintendo, software and had figured out how to make sounds on the Nintendo, uh, on the NES and the Game Boy. 
and so and he was also a bit of a musician himself really actually pretty talented and had a great ear um so he used to do all his music until he got too busy to do his own music to do his own music anymore mm-hmm. well you mentioned rob hubbard there and he he attributes um or other people attribute some of the the quality of his songs down to his technical abilities um I know he had a very good technical understanding of the Commodore 64, uh, and I think he was a coder himself. Did you dabble with coding? Did you did that benefit you in any way in your compositions? Uh, I did since then, and in later years it it helped. And I'm actually getting into a bit of uh, C sharp now, uh, very lightly, you know, and and uh, some of the audio integration and Wise. Uh, but uh, back then, I tried very hard to work the musical side of it rather than the technical side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had intense respect for Rob and, uh, and uh, Martin Galway and, and folks like that who were writing the really technical stuff. Um, what uh, the place where I happened to every once in a while though, music would intersect technology. Um, I happened to write the first general MIDI score for a game and with uh, with that power came great responsibility. Um, the Seventh Guest came out as the first General MIDI game, uh, but there weren't any General MIDI sound cards besides the Roland Sound Canvas that could play it. And and I mentioned in the manual for the Seventh Guest that this was going to be able to play on sound cards that haven't even been created yet. Well, once those sound cards started coming out, um, they didn't actually play it the music back very well because my uh, violin might start da 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 and their violins might start wah wah <laughs> so so if I was playing da 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 it would sound like so that that kind of thing happened so I I ended up uh, creating Fat Labs which was a certification service for uh, future uh, general MIDI cards that uh, I think it helped put general MIDI back on track. In that process, I ended up, uh, you know, people would ask me, what's the future of sound cards? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody who knew, so I thought it would take a lot of us to figure it out. So uh, I co-founded a think tank called Project Barbecue, uh, and a lot of the really nice advances uh, on PC audio and, uh, you know, sound on computers came out of Project Barbecue over the years. It's still going on now. I think it's in its... uh, 25th year mm-hmm. now I, I know exactly what you mean on the, on the midi devices i tried to play an mt32 a game designed for the mt32 through an sc88 and it replaced the pretty chirping birds with telephones ringing which completely ruined yeah. the atmosphere so <laughs> i know what you mean um but yeah there was a period in the in the late 80s early 90s uh, where we had the sound blaster we had adlib we had the gravis ultrasound we had things like the sound source. Do you remember the sound source? That was a box that sat next to the computer. You could use it with games like Stunt Island. So did that make yes. life hard for you? Or yes. I mean, you explained that it didn't sound the same on dis- different MIDI devices, but did you specifically have to write different tunes for different devices? Or did you then? Yeah, that, that was the progression of it. Yeah, mm. I think I would say the worst of it was uh, SSN Seawolf, SSN some, some number Seawolf, uh, an early submarine game that was very sound oriented, but the the bits of music, I wrote just a couple of bits of music, but I had to write, I think six different versions of each one. So I was uh, nurturing this matrix rather than writing the the music. And it was right around then when I was 
complaining about that to to my friend at Roland, Tom White, um, that I would have to write this seventh guest score so many times. And he said, well, why don't you just use general MIDI? So it was exactly what you're talking about um, that caused the, me to want to go to general MIDI, mm-hmm. where at least there was a, there was a, uh, the advertised benefit that uh, I would only have to write once and it would play back the same on all these different cards. Yeah. It must have been frustrating as a musician, though, to know that such a small percentage of the games players would have that that MT32 hardware to hear it as you really oh, wanted it to be heard. Well, uh, the MT32 was a little bit different. Okay, so let's go back a step. I was trying to actually generalize it a couple of games earlier. Uh, well, yes, my it's, first it's MP- just before General MIDI, isn't it? That's the right. MP32. So it was the sound canvas was General MIDI. That's right. Yeah. So when the Miles drivers came out, you know, that was the big software that everybody was using to write their um, to write their music and sounds on. Well, John Miles lived in my town, and uh, he came over and took me out to lunch and asked me a couple of questions that I'm very proud I could answer. Uh, why are there black and white keys on a keyboard? And... Um, what was the other thing? It was, uh, what does MIDI stand for? Um, so I, I was able to help him out with those. Uh, we ended up sharing a BBS. So uh, I paid for the phone line and the computer. And No, no, it was his computer, and he came over and kept it maintained and, and kept the Miles uh, software on that. So when someone needed the Miles software, they would download it from my house. So in the middle of the night, <laughs> Uh, the modem would go off. And uh, so one of the things that I had suggested to John was that he use the MT32 as a standard and make his FM sounds respond the way that uh, MT32 sounds uh, responded. So if you wrote to MIDI channel 10, it would play percussion. If you wrote to to, uh, MIDI channels 1 through 8, I think, were the others, uh, then it would it would play eight channels of audio. Um, so I, I, I was sort of an advisor and I provided uh, some patches so that the FM sounds would match MT32. Then when General MIDI came out, I created, uh, with my team, uh, I created um, a set of patches so that the FM uh, and the MT32 would sound like a sound canvas. So you'd send a little initialization patch to whichever sound card you had, and then you'd play the initial, the, you'd play the general MIDI file. So theoretically, it would sound pretty good. And I think on uh, Seventh Guest, it it really did. Um, and a lot of people used those patches. Uh, they ended up permeating. Uh, they they got licensed by Yamaha, who then licensed them over to Microsoft, and they were in Windows um, for years and years and years. I think up through. Uh, I can't remember the names of the Windows builds now. Mm. So when we were <laughs> listening to the passport.mid file on Windows, it was probably coming through your driver or your patch. <laughs> Could be. Could be. <laughs> well, you got to work with some amazing companies, George, companies like LucasArts or Lucasfilm Games at the time, uh, on games like Loom. I've got my copy right here. There it is. Um, and games like Wing Commander for Origin. I picked these two out because in Loom, music is essentially the plot of the game. Uh, And in Wing Commander, I remember it touted itself as being the first that had music that adapted and uh, was dynamic according to what the player was doing in the game at the time. Um, Is it fair to say then in the early 90s that music 
became more important to the game or was it just a reflection of the development of the technology you know were people starting to take music more seriously in video games uh individually yes it, it, that that happened right around when when we were doing that and and i a former version of me would have taken some credit for it uh, but there was a wave happening and it was inevitable and it was happening uh, with other people. We we just happened to be in the right place at the right time. So that Wing Commander score, that's basically the first time that anybody imitated John Williams, which became a rampant disease in later years. And in fact, uh, I, I used to believe, it may, it may be true, uh, but I would hear that people were told to imitate Dave Govett's score, he was, you know, my, my team member, Dave Govett's uh, score for Wing Commander before they'd be told to imitate John Williams. So make it sound like Govett and Wing Commander, you know, make it sound like the fat man. And then later that, that dropped away and it became, make it sound like John Williams. Although that totally at this point, at, my, at this age, it sounds like I'm making something up. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, uh, but Loom was so far ahead of the, curve uh brian moriarty was just a is a brilliant guy he used to give the best talks at game developer conference and it, we're we're very good friends he came up with the idea of doing seven movements of swan lake uh, on the mt32 um i just came along for the ride uh, i happened to be using an mt32 to you know at the time i was doing karaoke uh and, uh, you know, m music lessons, uh, vocal teachers needed karaoke versions of hit songs. And so I'd do that, you know, for like 30 bucks a song. Um, and I used an MT32 because it was the sensible device to do it on. And uh, then it started to become clear that that was a sound card for computers. Uh, so that was all, that credit all goes to uh, Brian Moriarty. And that was in an era when uh, they weren't ready I mean, of course, the music was spectacular for that. Uh, it's it's Tchaikovsky, um, and I was borrowing the tempos and dynamics of Seiji Ozawa. And, and before that, people really didn't put dynamics and tempo changes into MIDI. I don't know why, but you'd get a MIDI file, and it would always just click along, right? Um, so instead of going dang, um, you know, I, I clicked along with his performance of it. So I was da 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 dun 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 yeah so it's all changing and getting louder and softer. And uh but Loom was touting art by real artists. So that's the kind of atmosphere you're in where the ads would say, you know, and we got real artists to do art. Well, what did he mean? You got, uh, you got Van Gogh. You know, did you get that guy who, who wraps up coastlines and crucifies himself to a Volkswagen? You know, I mean, <laughs> what's a real artist? Um, and so they kind of weren't ready to uh, say too much about the music, except that it was a, a orchestral for years. The, uh, the music in those video games as it became started to sound good, uh, the description that they would use is movie-like. Uh -huh. And uh, I know that we've got a nerdy audience, so maybe I, I, maybe I don't have to say this, maybe I do have to say this, but movie-like doesn't mean good. <laughs> you know, no movie ever strove to be movie-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the music in these games would often be ported onto other platforms. 
So did you ever hear ports um, or adaptations of your music onto other platforms that really made you cringe or uh, were you happy to just let it go and let other people work on your your music? Uh, both. I, I cringed and I was happy to let it go. Sure. Um, you know, I, I would I would maybe send up a flag. Um, but a lot of the uh, one of the odd things that had to be done on Seventh Guest was set the pitch bend range. Um, so there's a famous like a opening. I don't know how famous famous in my mind. The the first note of the opening melody, the main theme for Seventh Guest, is a slide, an octave wide slide. So you set the pitch bend range for an octave. You push the little, you know, the you send pitch bend messages to the MIDI, and it goes. But on many of the renditions of that, where I wasn't brought in, it would go that it would go to the default setting for the sound canvas, which is pitch bend range of two. So we go. So kind of an important thing, and I tried to track it down, but yeah, what are you gonna do? It is it is what it is. Okay. Um and you never had to you never said to anyone, really, we've got to do this on, on PC speaker. <laughs> what were your feelings on PC speaker, George? Speak openly. <laughs> I would occasionally say really. <laughs> and then at some point I would say, How high on the way up? <laughs> you know, because we gotta do what we've got to do. So I don't think I did that many on PC speaker, but, uh, you know, if that's all they got, that's all they got. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, there was that interesting inflection point though. I mean, we were right at, at all these, uh, things were busting loose left and right. So yeah, I was writing on PC speaker for, I know I did a pass at PC speaker for, um, for that attack sub game. And that was right around seventh guest. So we went right from that to Seventh Guest, and it was not only the first general MIDI game, but uh, you know it was on CD-ROM, and it was the first CD-ROM game to sell more than Sherlock Holmes Adventures twenty thousand copies, and it sold a million and a half copies very quickly. So uh, I had to ask Graham, um, one of the producers, Graham, Graham Devine and Rob Landeros. I asked Graham uh, this the CD-ROM. I said is it like a CD? He says, yeah, George, it sort of is. So, well, can I put like music on it? He goes, well, I think so. I said, well, if I wrote like 20 minutes of music, like real music, <laughs> real artist, right. Uh, then could we like play it in the game somehow or do it like, well, that'd be hard. Well, maybe we could do it as an album. He says, I think so, George, I'll look into it. Or he did call me George. He called me fat man. <laughs> um, and so we actually, there was a, uh, I've got a copy of a fax somewhere where they said that they were going to bail on it because it's technically too difficult. I, I called in a friend of mine that I used to work on Epson QX10 software with, uh, Bill Volk, who did the manhole. Oh yes, that was tech, that was the first CD-ROM game, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So I put them in touch to be a CD-ROM expert and, and, uh, and uh, see if we could solve that little problem. See, I was, uh, I was, my brother was working for Bill Volk for a company called Rising Star. They were doing the first uh, integrated software suite with a word processor and, and a paint program and all these things. And my brother just isn't a designer. He's a programmer. 
So I'd got to design the interface for that. And Bill, Bill was my, uh, was my boss. So he likes to say that he's proud that he discovered the, uh, uh, the Miller brothers, you know, the, 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 because the manhole producers went on, went on to create mist. And then he says, he's proud that he discovered me too. And by the way, I'm working on uh, designing things for my brother this week. We're back working together and I'm going to have lunch with Bill Volk uh, on Monday. We're going to discuss a game that he's doing uh, that is coming up to uh, look at climate change. Um, And uh, Graham Devine is the person who brought me in to uh, be the first audio person on the magic leap. Uh, Mixed reality device. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so these, these relationships continue. Yes, you, you just, yeah. They can't get rid of me. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill is someone I'd love to have a chat to. So uh, put in a good word for us, please, George. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, with the seventh guest, and uh, I do wish you were a guest last week because you were actually the eighth guest on this series. So um, we missed out by a week <laughs> having you oh, as the seventh man. guest. Um, but they, How could we let this happen? <laughs> But the the album did happen. Your, your but music. it is uh, wait. It is today the date seven eleven. There you which go. Which is the name of my seventh guest uh, soundtrack. Perfect. Album. Perfect. Uh, and that soundtrack album was released as a second CD with the game. Is that right? It was packed in with it. Uh, that there was like a twenty minute version of that, yep. and more or less true. Sometimes it would be on the same disc as the game. Sometimes it'd be disc to the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I reworked it as a long. I think it's about 50 minutes, um, uh, sort of deluxe mix, and and uh, that's available from Bandcamp. Look for the Fat Man and Team Fat. There we go. We'll put a there link I, to that in I the description. <laughs> okay. But uh, we talked about Wing Commander and Loom and the flexible nature of the music there. Do you think we lost something then by turning to fixed audio CD tracks, or did the pros outweigh the cons in, in turning to streaming music from CDs in games? It was an awkward transition, mm. um, but we have landed on our feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, only in recent years, uh, I think that I, I think we can go back to feeling that it's fairly limitless. Um, that the the benchmark, oddly enough, is uh, Guy Whitmore's score to Peggle Two, uh, where he did a fully interactive orchestral score. And the trick to all this is. Uh, WISE, W-W-I-S-E. It's the middleware software that we use to integrate audio. And there are a few solutions, but that's really the far and away coolest one. Mm -hmm. Um, So he took a little, he recorded a full orchestra and sections of the orchestra and little bits and then dropped them into, uh, he'd drop drop them into the project and then uh, he would cue them appropriately so that it sounded like smoothly flowing smoothly flowing music appropriate to the gameplay. But, but let me back up a little bit because one of the things that Bill Volk used to say in, in the early eighties was don't ask me how I did it. You don't even want to know how I did it. Here's how I did it. Uh, it just because you can do something uh, doesn't mean you should. And guys, Guy Whitmore's uh, real secret to making a beautiful score for Peggle two is that the first thing he did was he went for a long drive or he took a shower or something like that. And he thought of what should this sound like? He took a linear piece of gameplay and he scored it like it was a movie so that all the highs and lows were happening just as they should to be emotionally effective. And he said, this is what I would do 
uh, if I had no limitations, if there was no technology. And then he said, now, how can I make that so that it happens in the optimal number of situations that could happen during real gameplay? So uh, letting your heart go first uh, is a really good way to go on that. Um, so, yeah, we've landed on that. But for a time in between MIDI being interactive and uh, then going to straight up uh, CD jukeboxes, um, yeah, we, we, we got the boost of people understanding that the music could be CD quality or cinematic quality. Um, and then there was a lot of people just taking an orchestra and going, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, so there's a lot of junk in there. The quality of composers now uh, that has come in, I mean, it used to hurt my ego a little bit that I didn't, you know, that, that they didn't stick with me, that they jumped over to getting movie composers and TV composers in. Uh, but uh, uh, that aside, you know, I've lived, I've lived a great life. I've got my stuff done. I don't really need to be that guy. You know, Moses doesn't need to go into the promised land. It still works. Uh, but some of your cats that are composing um, are, I, I hesitate to mention any of them uh, because I'll be leaving someone out. But listen around. Uh, you know, your top games have top composers now. Yeah, yeah. Well, just digging into your own back catalogue, George. Uh, after we've finished listening to you today, if we want to go away and listen to a piece of your game music, pick one out for us. What should we go and listen to, George? I'm going to say something different than I've said before. I would say uh, go and listen to Pajama Sam 3, You Are What You Eat From Your Head to Your Feet. The recording quality is actually very bad, although there are good recordings. There are good recordings, and we may be releasing it very soon as a, you know, in hi-fi. But uh, just go on YouTube and, and bang around in there. There are some really cool tunes. The jazz is sounding nice to me. Uh, some of the other humongous things, Freddy Fish and, and uh, my favorite game to work on, and this I've said a lot of times with my team, was uh, Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. So that, that little suite of uh, humongous entertainment games for kids uh, those were sweet things to work on. They were beautiful things to work on. And you got your war games on one side and your, your space operas and your horror games. Um, but I think I'd like everyone to expose themselves to, uh, to some Pajama Sam. Wonderful. I'm going to go and do that right now. Um, just before you go, George, where can we find out more about you or are there any other projects that you want to tell us about before we finish today? Well, I think if you wanted to, to find out about me professionally, Go to fatman.com. I've kind of made it look professional, but it also looks a little desperate and conforming. And it's, you know, <laughs> maybe it's not really me. Uh, uh, so, so skip fatman.com. Go to songsforgames.com if you want to see my, my heart laid bare. Um, and uh, a great way to get the wide picture is just put uh, George Alistair Sanger or the Fat Man or something into YouTube and do a search, and you'll get everything and it's completely crazy wonderful wonderful george thank you very much for sharing your story today take care thank you neil <laughs>